Good morning. It's a privilege for me to be here this morning. I, have, I was here last summer, some of you remember. Apparently the elders forgot, that's why I got invited back. <laughs> Not really. Uh, I, I do want you to know that I've been uh, praying, actually, for uh, for you all and uh, for Mike specifically and the elders, as I knew that uh, they were searching for a, a new senior pastor. So I'm excited for Mike and for Sarah to have the opportunity. Uh, really thrilled that Mike has the chance to uh, to be the, the new senior pastor for First Alliance Church. And uh, we'll continue to pray. Yeah, let's give God a hand and Mike a hand. Really, I'm excited for that. And uh, we'll continue to pray uh, as the transition happens. And then as Mike begins to uh, to lead, we'll just pray for clear vision, for clear direction. And uh, certainly we pray for uh, unity of that vision as well. So, again, it's just a privilege for me to be here. I will tell you that Mike asked me to continue the series in Revelation. So we're going to be there, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And before I read this, I just want to say that the first uh, comment I opened up said uh, about this letter. It's the longest and most difficult to understand letter of all the churches, uh, of all the letters of the churches. So I thought, you know, that Mike, he knows what he's doing. He's going to make a great senior pastor. Now, really, it, it, it really did say that. Uh, but I think with God's help, we can uh, decipher his message to us, certainly, this morning. So follow along with me, if you would. Uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 29, it says this. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think it's important for us to remember that this passage contains a specific message to a specific church for a specific time, but there are also truths that apply to many churches in many different periods of time. We also know that a church, this church, my church, any church, is a group of people. Right? First Alliance Church is not this building. First Alliance Church is you sitting here this morning and those that were here earlier this morning. We, as the people, are the church. And so because of that, we know that for a church to change, people, we need to change. And so our hope this morning is that we'll see an opportunity 
for personal transformation. Only as we are changed and as transformation happens in our own lives can a church attain that change. Can it realize transformation? That's the only way. Any church, the church in Thyatira, or the church in Erie, or the church in Butler, can actually see change. So I want you to know that as a result of that, as we're moving through this passage, we're going to be looking for some principles that we can apply to this church, but also to ourselves, to you and to me. With that as introduction, let me give you some important historical information that will help you understand what Christ is saying to the church at Thyatira specifically. So during the time that this letter was written, the city of Thyatira was a small but growing and prosperous city. And it was known actually for having a large number of trade guilds. Okay, so a trade guild is just a a group of people, an association that kind of oversees or controls the, the trade and craft practices in that city. These guilds were, they were very important economically, socially, politically, and and even religiously. So ancient inscriptions have been found in Thyatira that actually identify several of these trade guilds. Let me just list a few of them for you. Wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers of cloth, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, bronze smiths, and there's some others as well. The fact is that membership in a trade guild was really important if you wanted to be a successful business person in Thyatira. If you wanted to be part of the in crowd, a mover and a shaker in Thyatira, you needed to be part of one of these trade guilds. I want to mention quickly that in Acts 16, we actually meet someone from Thyatira that you may have heard of before. Acts 16 verses 14 and 15 say this. Excuse me. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And this passage goes on to say that she actually had them into her home. Lydia would have been a member of the Dyers of Cloth Guild in Thyatira, probably. We certainly don't know for sure, but every indication is she would have been. Trade guilds, very important in Thyatira. That's one thing I want you to know. Here's the second thing. Trade guilds all had their own pagan deity or idol that they worshipped, that they paid homage to. And they also all had festivals and feasts. And these festivals and feasts contained and, and, and were part of this worship to the pagan idol or the pagan god, little g god. So I want you to understand that. So that fact made it hard for the church there in Thyatira to stay pure and to adhere to the teachings of the apostles. With all that as background, let's look at verse 19. It says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. The church is commended for its love, which often leads us to serve other people. It's commended for its faith, which leads to to perseverance. And more than that, it's saying, and you're doing more now than you were at first. So there's growth there. There's some maturity And it's not just that there's maturity or there's growth numerically, but they're growing in their love. They're growing in their faith. Those are good things. 
Unfortunately, the next verse makes very clear that these positive attributes are outweighed by a specific flaw in the church in Thyatira. Verse 20 makes clear that there's a woman in the church who's calling herself a prophet. She's being accepted as a prophet, but really she is not a prophet of God at all. She's actually compared this with this name Jezebel. Every indication is that wasn't actually her name, but scripture is using that name as a comparison to the Old Testament woman named Jezebel, who you can read her story in 1 Kings 16. She really turned King Ahab, she was one of his wives, she turned the king and much of the nation away from worshiping God and instead began to worship Canaanite, small g gods and idols. So that is how this woman here in Thyatira is viewed from the lens of of Christ. It seems clear that this woman was teaching this, that those involved in the trade guilds, which I mentioned earlier, they could participate in the festivals and the feasts and and all the things that were involved. That that, that means they would have had to have eaten food offered to idols. That's one of the things specifically mentioned. And, And it also means that they would have been involved in sexual promiscuity, sexual immorality. We know from history that most of these feasts or festivals contained sexual acts as part of the worship related to the pagan god. And if they didn't, because these often lasted more than a few days and there was drunkenness involved, sexual immorality almost always accompanied these feasts and festivals. And so one commentator commentator said it very well. He said this, the woman was influencing the people of God to forsake loyalty to God by promoting a tolerance toward an involvement in pagan practices. This extended to sexual promiscuity while participating in the religious feasts connected with membership in the trade guilds. All right. So I just threw a lot of stuff at you. Let's pause for a moment and kind of recap. Okay. So in, in essence, what was happening is these believers were being told it's okay okay to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, and still participate in some of this stuff that was a part of the festivals and the feasts. So basically what's happening here is in order to be a member of a trade guild, you had to participate in their feasts and festivals. In order to participate in their feasts or festivals, you had to eat food that was offered to a false god or an idol. And it was really expected that you would also be involved in some sort of sexual promiscuity. So anyone who chose not to be a part of those things would have been banned from these trade guilds. And it would have had devastating impact on them economically and socially. So along comes a woman in the church who says, it's okay. It's okay to be a Christ follower and still do these things. No problem. Can you see why the teaching would have been popular? Can you see why people would have wanted the teaching to be true? Many people in the church followed her teaching, and they really lived one lived life with one foot in the church and one foot in the pagan practices of these guilds in which they were participating, in which they were members. The problem, of course, is those two bodies were opposed to one another. This letter makes it very clear what the Lord thinks of those people who are professing to be followers of Christ, but were still living in certain areas like everyone else in the city. Verses 21 to 23, listen again to what they say. 
I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So we've just read several verses, given you some historical background, talked to you about how the message applied to those in Thyatira. Now I want to take a a moment and look for some principles that we might find that might apply to our lives, to my life, and to yours. Because this morning, I don't think many of us, I don't think any of us are being tempted to join a trade guild or a labor union or any other group that, that as part of membership means I have to eat food offered to an idol. That's probably not a huge problem for you here in Erie. At least it's not in Butler. And if it is in Erie, I'd like to hear about it, actually. <laughs> so, so it's easy to say when we read that, hey, yeah, hey, good message, great passage. Uh, what, what are we having for lunch? But uh, that's not what God's word is for. It it is, we want to read it. We want to understand the historical context, but we want to ask, what about me? How does this apply to me? Does it apply to me? So let me ask you this question. Are there things going on? Are there activities in the place that you work that really are not really honoring to God? And are you participating in them? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I don't know where you work. Don't really know any of you. So do you participate in the gossip that happens at work? Do you talk about the boss behind his or her back like everyone else does or not? Do you adjust your time card a little bit, you know, because everyone does it? Do you pad your expense account a little? Because really, everyone does it. In fact, you would say, if I stopped doing it, not only would I get in trouble, but everyone else would as well. I don't don't know the situation, but you can see how the principles here can still apply to us. Let's take work out of the equation altogether and just think about some areas in our life where we, we spend time, things that we participate in that are just normal parts of our culture, but, and, and we may be, may be fine for us to be involved in them, or maybe not. So let me ask you this question. What shows do you watch? So think about the show. Think about the themes of the show. Think about the characters in the show. Do they espouse views that, you, that, that are opposed to, to what you might find in the New Testament? I'm not sure. Maybe they do. If they do, might they be influencing you? You see, it's easy to look at a passage like this and and say, yeah, 2,000 years ago, yeah, those people shouldn't have been doing that. Shame on them. But it's another to look at the principles and begin to ask questions of our own selves, of our own lives, and, and say, how do they apply to me? Think about, uh, again, what you do during the week. I know Mike last week talked about uh, the fact that we could have idols, if you remember that, if you were here, and he talked about sports being one of those, right? We build these big stadiums, these mega stars, we kind of hang on every word they say. That's, that's, that could be a, a major problem, for sure. Let me, let me change the focus just a little bit and say, what sports are you involved in? What sports leagues might you be involved in? What what views and values are espoused by that sports league? Are they values that line up with God's word or not? 
do they cause you to be involved in behaviors that are pleasing to the Lord and things you really want to be involved in? Or do they, I don't know, make you angry and frustrated and other things that maybe aren't that good for you? Let me really go out on a limb and ask this question. What about your children's sports leagues? What, what views are espoused by the league, by the coach, by the trainers, the people that your kids spend a lot of time with? What lessons are your kids learning by being involved in that league? What are they learning? What are they being taught by you, by others? Now listen, sports is a great... I, I grew up playing baseball and think times have definitely changed. Yes, I'm old. I know it. You don't have to tell me. But times have changed. But I learned a ton of great lessons playing sports. Sports is a, is a wonderful opportunity to teach life lessons to our kids. But we need to think about what they're learning. We need to be intentional, perhaps. And maybe we need to make some hard decisions as well. They can be a great experience or not. Depends on the, the situation. Depends on the individual circumstance, for sure. Let me say, though, I, I want to re jump in really quickly and say that I am not suggesting that you aren't involved in leagues or other activities you know, where there are people who don't know Christ. In fact, the, the exact opposite. Scripture is really clear. We need to be involved with the lives of people who, who don't yet know Christ. How else are they going to find him unless they get to know us? And we can be examples and we can answer questions and we just build relationships with them and show them what it's like to have a relationship with someone that really cares about them and loves them, right? So I'm not a proponent. Now I'll step on even more people's toes, but hey, I'm leaving. So you won't, I won't be back. You know, Christian leagues, like Christian basketball, Christian softball, first of all, some of those are the worst fights I've ever seen have been in those leagues, but you know, that's not what I'm promoting. I'm saying be involved, but do it intelligently, systematically. Like think about what, what is this teaching me and my, my kid and then invest in people. We want to be salt and light. We want to be messengers of God's hope. We can only do that as we're involved in the lives of people who don't yet know Christ. You know, the truth is last week, Mike talked last week about compromise. That was sort of the, the theme that he talked about. And, and that's really the same issue for this church here in Thyatira. They're trying to, they're trying to compromise what they believe and sort of live a, live a double life. Let me turn our attention for just a moment to sexual immorality, because it's listed here specifically in the passage. I want you to know it's listed throughout the New Testament. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says this. It says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And then Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And sexual immorality heads the list with impurity, lust, evil. Those are important verses. This is an important principle that's found, again, throughout the New Testament, not just in this letter to Thyatira. It, it may be that you've never had a problem with sexual promiscuity. That's awesome. We should praise God for that. It may be that you have had that problem in the past, or perhaps you are still having it. Here's the, here's the question. Sometimes we can think, it's not an issue for me. But once again, if we ask some questions, what, what, are you, what are you watching? What shows are you watching? What, what music are you listening to? What websites are you visiting? Are those having a positive impact on you, moving you towards God, towards alignment with his word or away from it? 
could still be a problem in our lives. A great question to ask is, what do you, I heard this, uh, I mentioned in the first service, someone came and uh, gave me some more insights into it actually, but I heard this 30 years ago. What do, you, what do you think about when you daydream? What do you focus on when you don't have anything to think about? So, you know, what, what do you fantasize about? Do you fantasize about being rich? Fantasize about being in the NBA? Uh, I do not. Um, what, what, when, when you just have free time, because that can be a, those questions can be good as diagnostic questions to say, are, are, is the media and things in my life, are they encouraging me to live in a godly way or in a way that is counter to God's word and to what he would desire in my life? What I do know is that God's standard is very high. And so I want to encourage you this morning to ask the Lord to give you eyes to see areas of influence in your life that you may not even be aware of. He'll show you if you want to know. If you ask that question, he'll give you the answer. What I do know as well is although God's standard is amazingly high, in fact, his standard is perfection. That's what the word tells us. His grace is even more amazing and is completely sufficient. Verse 21 says again that this woman, he he gave her time to repent. And then later in verse 22, it says they will be punished unless they repent. I mean, that's an amazing truth, isn't it? God doesn't desire to punish us. He desires us to repent. That simply means stop doing what we're doing that is wrong and turn away from it. That's repentance. It's that simple. That's the God that we serve. He doesn't desire to punish, but he will. But his desire is that we repent. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. A little over two years ago, a man came forward after one of our Sunday morning services and uh, began to talk. I'd never met him before. We, we talked for several minutes, and he, he, he told me that he had told his wife a, a little while ago that he was having an affair. And in fact, he told me that over the previous several years, he had had numerous affairs. And we talked again for uh, quite a while, and, and he said, he looked at me, and I can still remember it as clear as I can, and my wife who knows I don't remember anything from last week, let alone two years ago, finds it amazing, but I can still remember him because he looked at me and said, I just don't know what to do. And uh, I think it's one of those times, if you've experienced it as a believer, the Holy Spirit just spoke very clearly to me and through me, and I said, I know what you need to do. You need to end the affair. I mean, it's very clear in Scripture. You need to end the affair. You need to ask your wife for forgiveness. See if she will forgive you and begin to rebuild your life. That's what you need to do. There's really no question. And I was able to continue to talk with him and share the gospel with him, talk to him about penalty for sin, his sin, my sin, your sin. There's a penalty that we cannot pay. That's what Scripture tells us. But I was able to explain to him that Christ died on the cross to pay my penalty and his And that if he just asked God forgiveness and he repented from this behavior, turned away from it, that God, in fact, would forgive him. We, again, talked for a long time. And at the end, he just said, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure. And he walked out the doors of our sanctuary. God gave him an opportunity to repent. He had the chance 
to repent and ask God for forgiveness. And then to ask his wife for forgiveness and then take the steps necessary to live the life God was calling him and desired for him to live. Or he could decide to continue doing what he was doing. But God gave him the opportunity. And scripture is, is clear that God's desire is for that man and for all of us to take that opportunity and to repent and to ask forgiveness. We also know from the New Testament, however, that he won't make us do that. We have a free will. We get to choose, yes, I want to ask forgiveness and have a relationship with a God who loves me, or no, I do not, and I will continue to live the life I am living. So God's desire, even for us this morning, if he's bringing something to your mind or to my mind, what is it you need to repent from and ask forgiveness? Because he desires to grant forgiveness. So I want to encourage you, if there's something he's bringing to your mind this morning, to ask him for forgiveness. Whether you're in a relationship with him already and, and, and sin has gotten in the way of that relationship and caused it not to be correct and right the way he desires it to be, or whether you've never asked for forgiveness, today could be the day that that happens. Here's what I know. God will give you time. A time will come when punishment will come. That's what scripture tells us, not just in this letter to Thyatira. What we don't know is how long we have. He might give you 40 years. He might give you five minutes. Scripture makes really clear, we don't know. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed our next breath. He is slow to punish, but this passage makes clear he will bring punishment. So I want to encourage you, don't wait. If God's brought something to your mind, repent, ask forgiveness for your sin, for that stuff in your life that isn't the right stuff, according to God's word. So here's the truth. As I was thinking about this passage and this message uh, this morning, I really don't know any of you very well. I know a few of you a little. And so I, I begin to wonder how might God want to apply this message to First Alliance Church? And I am not going to give you that application, so relax. But what I do know is there was a, a woman in Thyatira who was preaching, who was teaching things contrary to God's word, and no one really did anything about it. And many were led astray, and now they faced punishment. That I know. Here's the other thing I know. I know that we as human beings have the amazing ability to deceive ourselves. It's amazing how we can see small little issues in other people's lives, but we cannot see the stuff in our lives. That's why scripture says, you know, before you go to remove that speck in someone else's eye, look for the log right in your eye. Because it's, we, we can deceive ourselves so simply. And so I want to encourage you again to just ask God to reveal if there's anything you all you need to do as far as your relationships with one another. Maybe there's someone here that you need to go to and ask forgiveness. I have no idea. Maybe there's someone that God's calling you to lovingly, carefully, prayerfully go to and say, hey, there's something in your life that I don't think you see. That I, I think it's, it's stopping you from being the person God is calling you to be. 
I don't know what God might be calling you to do. But I do know that, once again, First Alliance Church is not this building. It's you all. And so in order for this church to be the church God is calling it to be, you all need to be the people he's calling you to be. That's the only way it can happen. Having a new senior pastor won't make that happen. It can be a part of it for sure. But God wants to change each of us so that the churches that we attend can be the churches he's calling them to be. In the midst of that process of perhaps asking forgiveness or approaching someone, Colossians 3 gives us a great insight into the attitude that we're supposed to have. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have, has a grievance against someone. And then what a great sentence. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Don't hold grudges. You know, the amazing thing, I've been a pastor now, 19 years, I was a missionary before that. You know, when we get bitter and we, we hold grudges, it doesn't hurt the other person at all. It just hurts us. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And remember, we can be easily deceived. So ask God to reveal it to you. His Holy Spirit will do that for you. Remember, the verse says, I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. You know, this isn't a, a threat. It's really a message from a loving God who says, I will not allow you to continue to hurt my church, my bride, my body. That message is for the, those at Thyatira. It's for us today as well. Verse 24 then speaks to a whole different group of people. It speaks to those who have not been persuaded by this false teacher, by this false prophet. They're told to hold on to what they have until Christ comes. And really this indicates that for those who haven't believed and been led astray, they just need to hold on to the truth they already know. They need to continue to be faithful. I will mention that one of the, there's a phrase there, it says, those who have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. That just simply refers to the idea that those who were believing this prophet were being told, they were, giving, they were being given some secret knowledge, some secret information. But this verse indicates they, they weren't receiving any such thing. Actually, all they were doing was believing lies as though they were true. There was nothing secret about it. Just like this group of Thyatira, you may be here this morning and you may have been faithful to the Lord for many years. And I just want to say thank you for that. You know, we have people like that in my church and it's, it's the great examples. We need you as examples to just remain faithful. Thank you for that. You know, I talked to someone this week who has been faithful. She's, she's in her 50s. She's been a believer for more than 30 years. But, you know, no one else in her birth family, none of her brothers or sisters or parents are, are Christ followers. And she's been praying for them and sharing with them. But she can get discouraged. And she, she was discouraged a little bit this week because uh, one of those people is, is, is ill and, and not doing well. And, and I just want you to hear that if that's your situation, maybe you live in a house where you're the only believer. I don't, I don't know that. But if that's your situation, just like the letter is stating from Christ to those in Thyatira, he's saying, hold on to what you have. Hold on to your faith. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep looking to him to be 
the answer that they need. One word of caution. When we have people in our lives that we love so much and we want them to understand the joy, right, of having a relationship with Christ, there has to be a balance because we can begin to feel like it's our responsibility, right? And it's not our responsibility, I mean, if you have someone in your life that you love, you definitely want to want to share. You want to you want to keep talking to them. You want to keep loving to them, loving them. You want to maybe you can share what God has done in your life and what He means to you. You can certainly share the gospel, but you cannot trust Christ for them. They have to do that, right? They have the, that opportunity. They have a free will, just like that man in my office, I mean, my, that man up front at church had. He had, he had the decision to make. It's their decision. It's not our decision. And here's a little information for you that may shock some of you. I doubt it. God doesn't really need us. He chooses to use us, which is awesome. But he doesn't need us. And, you know, that's amazingly freeing. Because I, I've sometimes I've talked to people, and I've even felt sometimes this way myself. You know, we can, we can be in a situation where we want to share with someone, and we, maybe we don't. We don't say something. Or we, say, we think we say the wrong thing, and we think, oh, we, we messed it up. Now that person's not going to come to Christ. Listen, God's grace is way more sufficient. Way more sufficient than anything you can do or not do in someone's life. Right? We need to trust Him. We need to trust him and not us, not our words, but simply trust him. Let's continue verses 26 and 27. They simply say, really, that those that those that are faithful to the end will rule with Christ. Let me read 2 Timothy 2:11. It says this. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We know that to be true. That's what it says here in the the letter to Thyatira. That's what it says in 2 Timothy. It says it elsewhere in the New Testament. We will have the opportunity, the privilege of ruling with Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful promise. And it's an encouragement to stay faithful. Stay faithful faithful. So remember the man that came forward. I want to, I want to finish that story, right? He came, it's been a couple years ago. I said, he left. I didn't have his phone number. I just knew his first name, but he came back and we sat in my office a couple weeks after that. And we began to talk and he said, I want you to know I ended the affair. And I said, you made the right choice. And then we began to talk about what the next steps in his life might be and what his life might look like now moving forward. And I was able again to explain to him that his sin had a penalty he couldn't pay, but Jesus paid the penalty and that he could by faith accept Christ's work on the cross for him. And I explained to him that I had done that at one point in my life. I'd asked God for his forgiveness And God had granted that forgiveness. And and now I lived a different life. In fact, Scripture said, the old has passed away, the new has come. I'm a new creature in Christ, is what I was able to say to him. And he really came to understand that by faith, he could trust that Jesus paid his penalty in full. And so there in my office, he bowed his head. And he accepted Christ as his Savior. He asked him to forgive him. He repented. He really had already repented. He had stopped doing this behavior, and he turned away from it. 
and we celebrated. Here's the rest of the story a couple years later. I want you to know that his wife, over time, forgave him. And they have reconciled their relationship. And both of them have said to me, our marriage is better now than it's ever been for all the years that we've been married. His children were able to come to a place of also forgiving him. And he reconciled with his grown children. And they have wonderful relationships now. They could see the change in his life. He was a different person in many ways. And they saw it. And they reconciled. That is what Christ can do in a life because he desires us to repent. He doesn't desire to punish us. I'm so thankful for that. Scripture makes clear he will. He does. But his desire is that we would repent and we would turn so that he might replace our guilt with innocence and our shame with approval and our captivity with freedom. He wants to set us free. Do you desire that this morning? Hopefully you've already experienced that. But if you haven't, today can be that day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that teaches us, Lord, some truths that are hard for us to hear and others that we welcome with open arms. But I thank you that it only teaches us the truth. And I ask this morning, Lord, perhaps there are some here that don't know you, that have not yet asked you to forgive them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts even now and remind them today could be the day that you love them and care for them and you're waiting for them to turn away from their sin and ask for forgiveness. And there may be many here this morning who have done that and have a relationship with you, but they've allowed stuff to creep into their lives. Attitudes and behaviors and sin that just shouldn't be there. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they repent, turn away from that, and ask for your forgiveness. Your word is so clear. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for that truth. Father, I pray that you would apply this word, your word, through your spirit any way you desire in our lives this morning as we continue to worship you and praise you. And I pray that this church would become the church you desire it to be because these people become the people you desire them to be. Father, thank you that you want them to repent. Thank you that you want me to repent, to offer forgiveness to me and to them. We give you praise for that. And Lord, we want to praise you now through worship and through song. And really, we want to praise you through the giving of our offerings as well. Would you bless them? Would you allow them to sustain this church? And also, would you allow them to have impact in this city and around the world? Lord, we ask for your blessing upon it as we continue to praise you. It's in Jesus' wonderful, amazing name we pray. Amen.